Amen. Thank you all. Man, that's a great song. That last song they played was an awesome song. Well, good morning. It's a great day to be in the house. As my wife already said, it's a great day to be a part of the body of Christ. It's a great day for a lot of things. Amen? God is just good all the way around. How many believe that? You believe that? I mean, really believe that? Someone just shout yes. If you believe that, it's a great day to be alive. Praise God. Well, I, I really love this time of the year and, and um, everything about Easter and leading up to Easter. And, and uh, this year I um, decided to teach a series for a few Sundays from the cradle to the grave. Um, and I started out talking about Jesus' birth and talked about his life and talked about um, the Passover week last week and just how all the parts of his life and who he is and who he was and who he is today, how they all go together. And how that everything in the Old Covenant, Old Testament, Everything focused on Jesus. The moment, we talked about this last week, but the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they gave up the authority that God had given them. God didn't take their authority back because they made a mistake. They gave their authority to the enemy, to Satan, to Lucifer, whoever you want to call him. They gave their authority to him. And in that moment, everything that happened and everything that was recorded over the next 4,000 years focused on Jesus and our redemption. And um, there's a lot to it. And, and you, you can, you know, I, I've been saved for a good long time, 37 plus years I've been born again. Um, and every time I hear anything in regards to what Jesus accomplished for us. I don't care how many messages I've ever heard, how many books I've ever read on it. Every time I hear something new in regards to that, um, it does something else to me. It gives me a, 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 another piece, a stronger piece. And, um, and, and I believe that's what God wants. And, and so today as we, as we share about the last 12 hours of His life, I've, I've just... I've entitled today, The Twelve Hours That Changed the Whole World. The Twelve Hours That Changed the Whole World. That actually, those, those twelve hours leading up to His crucifixion were what changed all of mankind in the last previous 4,000 years. And now begun, now what was to begin was what God really put you and I on planet earth for. What did he put us here to do? To rule and reign and to be in dominion. Um, years ago, I, was, I worked for about two years with two gentlemen that were professional painters and they painted houses and new houses, old houses. Um, and... Uh, had the privilege, really, of, of learning how to paint. Uh, up to that point, I didn't know which end of the paintbrush to use. 
And why they hired me, I don't know, but this had to be the favor of God. <laughs> but I learned how to paint. And to this day, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good painter. I'm not fast, but I'm good and I'm thorough. I know how to paint. But one thing that one gentleman drilled into me the whole time as I was learning how to paint was that if you don't prep a house correctly, you can throw a coat of paint on it and it does absolutely nothing. In fact, what it does is it magnifies all the mistakes if you don't prep it right. And uh, so I've learned through the years, if I'm going to paint something, even though it takes longer to do it right, I'm going to do it right because I don't want all of the mistakes to be magnified and seen by everybody that comes and looks at the wall. And what these 12 hours that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, what these 12 hours represented was the prep work that made this crucifixion worthwhile. So I want you to think about that. Give you that little example of, of the prep that goes into painting a house. Well, what we're going to talk about today is the 12 hours that prepared the crucifixion that mattered. There have been a lot of people crucified and you know, died on stakes and crosses. Actually, there were two people that died with Jesus. Those deaths actually really didn't mean much because His death was the death that all of humanity had been waiting for. But what happened in the 12 hours previous to that crucifixion is what we're talking about today, but it made the way. And so, as we look through Scripture today, I want to take the time to focus on, on the decisions that Jesus made and what actually happened to Him in these 12 hours that really made the difference. It seemed cruel. If you've ever watched the movie, my favorite movie in regards to this time of year is Passion of the Christ because, I mean, it's, it's a gory movie. It's difficult for many people to watch, but I don't even think that what you see in that movie even does justice to what Jesus did and what He paid for in those 12 hours. That's where all the beating and the torturing and everything that went on leading up to His crucifixion. But it was, it was decisions that He had to make. So I want to look through these passages just here for a little while and, and talk about these 12 hours. Um, again, I just want to make this point. Everything that we see in the Old Testament, we're going to read some Old Testament Scripture and then some New Testament Scripture, but everything in the Old Testament led up to what Jesus was, was accomplishing for us. And then the New Testament and the New Covenant is all about what He produced. So when you read Old Testament, it's all about what Jesus was going to do. You read New Testament, it's about what He's done for us and what He's accomplished and now what we have a right to walk in and live in and operate in day to day. How many know that you don't have to be afraid? Why? Because of these 12 hours. How many know that you have a right to be at peace because of these 12 hours? How many know that sickness and disease have no right over your body because of these 12 hours? Right? How many know that 
lack and, and not enough, Jesus paid for. And because of these 12 hours, you have a right to live in more than enough. Amen? And on and on and on and on and on. If depression has attacked your life, if you came into the kingdom of God with depression and you've, been, you've not been able to shake depression in your life, and, and with that, you know, everything is rooted in fear. Every form of depression is rooted in fear. And you've not been able to shake depression in your life. These 12 hours paved the way for you to be free from depression and to live in, in joy and fulfillment and in more than enough in your life. Mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, and in every way. That's what these 12 hours represent. Amen? So, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to jump back and forth. We're going we're gonna to read Scripture out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and their accounts of these 12 hours. And then we're going to look at a few verses, or actually just a couple of, or actually one passage of Scripture in the Old Testament that confirms why he had to do what he had to do. Um, so I want to start in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to start with verse 36. We read up to this point last week in Scripture. And after the Passover was over in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. To a place called Gethsemane. And said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. I want to go from there, and I want to look at Luke's account of this. In Luke 22, and starting with verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from, away from me. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane here. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. I want to read this verse 44 in the Amplified. It says, And being in agony of mind, he prayed all the more earnestly and intently as his sweat became like great clots of blood dropping down upon the ground. I mean great clots of blood. Blood that was flowing from his brow. Well, at this point, at this moment, is where things begin. Is where the 12 hours begin in his life. 
that was all preparation for what was to come. And I believe at this point and in, and in this place as he went before God, I believe that leading up to this, everything was coming to him prophetically about what his purpose and his plan and why he was on planet, why he was on planet earth, what his mission was. We talked a couple of weeks ago that he was born for one reason, and that was to die. Jesus was born to die for you and I. And you and I have to live our lives realizing the price and the debt that was paid. So he lived his life. He was 33 years old at this time. He knew everybody in the area that he lived in. He, he, knew, he, he, he knew everybody in Galilee. He knew every, most, most of the people that were in synagogues in, in different cities and, and towns around. He knew, he knew everybody. Everybody knew who he was. He was Joseph's son. He was a carpenter's son. He knew, he knew he was a carpenter by trade himself. And everybody knew him. And um, so throughout his earthly ministry, they became very angry with him and bitter with him and they were jealous of him. And they, you know, he, he continued to say things about and, and confirm the fact that he was the Son of God. And that he was the Messiah that all the Jews were looking for. The one that would deliver all of mankind. And he, he started saying things to them. And he wasn't real vocal about it. But he was vocal enough that it created all, a, a, a huge stir. But, but people gravitated to him because he, he produced results. He had the goods. What he said would happen would happen every single time. He never prayed or spoke something over someone say that had physical ailment in their bodies, never spoke or said anything over anybody that didn't come to pass the way he said it would. Because he came to do the will of the Father. So inside of him, inside of him, over 30 years of preparation, he prepared himself for three years of ministry, and on the inside of him was the will of God. You and I have the ability through this book right here to put the will of God on the inside of us so that we can be the, this reflection of Him in the earth. We can be the same person because of the same Spirit that lived in Him lives in us. We can do the same things He did and even greater things we can do because of where He's at today. And He had all this on the inside of Him and when it came time for Him to make a quality decision, he says to the Father, Lord, if there be any other way. Because what began to happen in the garden in his prayer time is he began to see what he was going to have to go through. And what he was going through, what he went through was my deliverance and your deliverance and the deliverance of every person that's ever lived on planet Earth and that will ever live on planet Earth. And he began to see that at this point. The beginning of this 12 hours, there was agony. He told his disciples, would you pray with me for one hour? Just pray with me. I'm going to go over here on the other side. I was in the Garden of Gethsemane a number of years ago. And there are a number of trees in the garden there that they know for a fact were there 
and, and one of them is one of them's got this little fence around it. it it's it, an olive tree, and, it, and one of them in the garden that they know for a fact was there, and probably the tree that he knelt near or, or close to in the garden. And you know, you think, you think, well, you know, that's a over two thousand year old tree, and you know, you, you wouldn't think that it would do anything to you. But as I'm telling you and remind, I'm, I'm telling you about it. It just brings cold chills to me, because when I was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where he knelt. Man, it just hit me that day. It hit me. What he was up against, the choice that he had to make. And you think about every single time that you're faced with choices in your life that are difficult, where you're faced with making a choice about something that you may not even want to make, something that that you struggle with in your soul and your mind think of the struggle he experienced in himself every struggle that any human being would ever have ever think about the things that you struggle with just you he took on himself in that moment i mean yeah i mean he 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 began to sweat drop drops of clotted blood because of the agony and the despair. God, if there be any other way, if can, this can happen any other way, let it be. But not my will, yours be done. And you, you know, the answer from the Father wasn't recorded there, <laughs> but the answer was, there ain't no other way. And it's all on you, and it's all on your shoulders and if you don't make this decision, then I'm wiping everybody out and we're going to start over. If you don't make this decision, then this is over with. 4,000 years of preparation through Abraham, through David, through person after person, through Moses through Joseph, through all the different examples through the Old Covenant. Everything is focused. Jesus was the deliverer of the, uh, of the Jews from Egypt out of, out of that place of bondage. Moses was that type and shadow of Jesus in the earth. All these years, 4,000 years leading up to this moment, this moment in the garden, and all this pressure and all this load, and he begins to... What happens is when he said, Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. And when he said that, he began to sweat the drops of blood. What happened is, what began to happen is the crucifixion began to start because of what he took upon himself. See, when, when, when we watch, say, the passion of the Christ and you watch him being you know, the, the nails through his hands and his feet and the things that, that he went through and the beating and the torturing and all that. All of that was an outward manifestation of what was going on internally. All the beatings and the things physically were an outward manifestation that started in the garden when he began to sweat drops of blood. You see, he didn't just die physically. He died spiritually. 
and was separated from God. He was separated from God, went to hell, redeemed all of mankind that was in, that was in paradise, and he left, led captive those who were in captivity into a place of captivity into God and liberated all of mankind and everybody in the future. No one else would ever have to sacrifice again. Nobody, even to this day, has or will ever have to sacrifice again because of the decision that He made right here in the garden. And in that decision, with that decision, the crucifixion, the crucifixion began. And what He took upon Himself, no human being in the natural would be able to handle that. See, what's, what's, what's unique about this, and, and, it, and it's good for us to take the time and talk about this. A person that's a person born from the sperm of another man wouldn't be able to handle what he, what he handled. But he was a person, like you and I, directly from the sperm and the seed of God Himself. And the fact that He was all God was true, but He was all man. And everything in the Old Covenant led up to this moment and what God had accomplished through Mary, what she had chose to receive, not being with a man, but receiving that seed and that sperm from God Himself into her womb, and with his birth, what started 30 years of preparation of putting the will of God on the inside of him, led all the way up to this point where he made the choice as a man. And the choice he made created an agony and a despair. I mean, think of, think of all of the reports you've ever heard about people wanting to commit suicide. What's behind suicide? It's a spirit. And that that spirit is a spirit of despair, of loneliness, of no hope. And and what he took on himself in, in, in those moments, in that hour or so period of time when he was in prayer, He went through agony and despair and hopelessness like no human being could ever go through. It would destroy anybody else that wasn't directly from the seed of God. But today, but today, I'm talking about back then, but today, nothing's impossible. We can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Could a man accomplish that today? If he said the works that he did will do and even greater works, then because of what he did, there's no end, there's no limit to what you and I can accomplish. But it started right here. And if, you don't, if, if you've never grasped that, if you've never got that understanding that everything that he paid for started in that decision, then you misunderstand what he really did. You know what, you know what I think? I think sometimes that I think that people 
focus on, I, I think we can religiously in our minds so focus on what Jesus did that people can almost feel bad for Him. People can, can read about all that He went through and, and, and the torture that He went through physically and the focus can be on, on the actual act in a way that people feel bad for Him when what He did, He had to do. The Bible actually says, and we'll read this Scripture in a minute, the Bible actually says that it pleased God. It pleased God that he was tortured and beaten and left for dead and wiped out and annihilated. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he was unrecognizable. He was beaten so bad. They couldn't even recognize him. And the Bible says that it pleased the Father. How can something like that please him? Because that was the will of God. And, and the whole thing, the whole will of the Father was for the redemption of you and I. That you and I would be redeemed. Look at this verse in Hebrew, in Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we surrounded we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, He despised the shame, and then He was sat down at the right hand of the Father. But He endured the cross and He despised all the shame and everything that went with the choice that he made. This choice in the garden was a choice that liberated mankind from shame, from everything that is connected and tied to shame. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured what the cross produced. That cross and what was nailed to the cross, his body that was nailed to that cross, represented Total and complete liberty and deliverance for all of mankind. There's not anything today that you can't be free of if you want it. Think about it for a minute. Think about it. What do you want to be delivered of? A lot of times we want to keep certain things. I don't know why, but we do. Sometimes people want to keep fear because it's kind of warm and cozy to be afraid of things. Some people want to cope with fear when Jesus annihilated fear. Why, why would we want to cope with something that He annihilated and delivered us from? Why would we stay afraid of things? I don't know about you, but, but if, if there's something, let, let's just say there's something that you grew up with that you were afraid of. Maybe you're intimidated by people and you grow up with that thing. As you come into the revelation of God and what He's accomplished, what we're talking about this morning, when you get a grip and a handle on that, then you face fear. You don't run from fear. 
You don't act like fear's not there. Well, no, 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 I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. And, and you'll say you're not afraid until you get even more afraid. It's not about trying to not be afraid. It's embracing God and the person of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus accomplished and then attacking fear situation to situation. If you're afraid of the dark, how would you attack being afraid of the dark? Turn the light out. I'm going to sleep in the dark because the light's on the inside of me. Hmm? God has not given me a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound and a well-balanced mind. I can sleep. Well, Pastor, I don't know if I can turn that light out. Well, start with a nightlight. So you turn the big light out, put your nightlight in, and then go to the next thing. Or whatever. Hmm? One day I was, I lived in Midland, Texas, and I was in college and I was working at a 7-Eleven. And a friend of mine came to uh, see me, and he drove up in front of the 7-Eleven, he was from out of town, he drove up in front of the 7-Eleven store, and, uh, and where the 7-Eleven store was was not like what you would call the best part of town. Some, some people wouldn't call it the best part of town. But I work there, and the guy drives up, and he sees people in front of the store that he would just feel like he didn't want to get out of the car. So I saw him drive up, but he wasn't getting out of the car. I'm thinking, I'm not getting out of the car. I'm waving at him, coming. Ah. So after a while, he finally gets out, and he said, uh, he comes in. I go, what are you doing? He said, well, you know, there's some guys out there. I don't, I don't know about those guys. What guys? Those guys in that car, they didn't look, they didn't look you know, I, I was kind of nervous or scared because of those people. And I was thinking, I, I thought to myself, at the time, but I'm using it as an example now, I mean, it didn't have, I mean, I mean, I mean what constituted in his mind that those, those guys were not good? It was his past, right? Been in some situation, maybe the color of their skin, maybe, you know, the, the way they wear their clothes, their hat. I, I don't know. What, what, I don't know. I mean, he, he couldn't really tell me why, it, what it was, but it was something that related to his past and things that he was afraid of that situation. So how do you deal with that kind of thing? How do you deal with something like that? The next time something like that happens, you, when you drive up and you feel that thing, you get out of the car. And, and, and you conquer that thing by facing it, not trying to cope with it. Well, I'm just going to go to another store. Yeah, well, you drive up to another store and maybe there'd be somebody else that you think might hurt you or whatever. Or what, what, whatever it would be. I'm just using these as examples. But there's been many fears and issues that I've had to conquer in my life, but not coping with them by facing them because of the choice that Jesus made in the garden. He made the choice. Now I have the ability to overcome every single time in every situation, everything that I face, I have the power to overcome because He made the choice. Amen? And you know what? Everything else is a lie. Everything else is a lie. 
if fear is gripping my heart and trying to, to, to influence me in the decisions that I make, it's a lie. If God didn't give me fear, then I don't have to receive fear, and I don't have to walk in it, and I don't have to be influenced by it. Neither do you. I'm going to say it again. If God did not give us fear, and uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given me fear, but power, love, and a sound and a well-balanced mind. And if that's what He's given me and He hadn't given me fear, I don't have to receive fear. I don't have to allow fear to overcome me or overtake me and influence the decisions that I make. Because I'll tell you what fear will do. It, it will keep you from fulfilling your purpose and your plan and your destiny in life. It will. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you can't do it. You get an idea. God puts an idea in you. And all of a sudden, 14 people tell you nobody's ever done that and that, that can't be done. Who says it can't be done? Hmm? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Where'd that start when he made that decision? When he made that decision, Lord, if there be any other way, but not my will, yours be done. Blood starts flowing. The process started. For 12 hours, he was tortured, beaten, taken advantage of, shameful, clothes ripped off of him, naked in front of all of the, all, the whole world. I mean, you know, the, the, the movies do it justice because we don't want to expose somebody to the, the, the whole world in a Jesus movie. But the world, but, but that movie doesn't do it justice. He was buck naked in front of all of his friends and tortured and despised. And they said things like, so you say you're the son of God. If that's the case, then why can't you stop me from doing this? Hmm? Well, in the garden where we read up to last time, where he was with his disciples, they come to arrest him, and Peter cuts off an ear of one of the Roman soldiers. And one, one of the accounts in Scripture, Jesus tells his disciples, Wait, 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 wait. What, I didn't come to bring a sword. There's a purpose here. I was born to die, and this process has to take place for your liberty and your freedom, is what he was telling them. But, but he makes this point in, in one of the accounts. He said, do you not think I could bring, I think it was 12 legions of angels down and wipe this whole bunch out? This, is, this isn't about how tough we are. This is about seeing what was prophesied from the Old Testament leading up into this time, seeing this thing come to pass. Put the sword up. Put the guy's ear back on. Put the guy's ear back on because that wasn't what needed to happen. Hmm? What needed to happen was they come and get him and take him away so that the process could continue. It already started by his decision. Now notice, they tried to get him time and time and time and time again. Time and time and time again, but it wasn't his time. Why? Man, get this. Get the, if you don't get anything else this morning, get this. It wasn't his time until he made the decision. Now, I'm just going to throw this in. This is free. I'm just going to throw this in. Okay? It's not your time to succeed and be successful and be fulfilled until you make 
the decision. And the decision isn't the day you got born again. That's an important decision. But the decision is every time that God is asking you to do it His way. And it won't be your day of seeing fulfillment in your life until you make a decision. And you know what's attached to major decisions that I've had to make in my life? Forgiving. Walking in love. Repenting for certain things. Doing an about face and a change in certain attitudes or characteristics in my life that need to change. And his decision here empowered you and I to be able to make quality decisions, to turn from disobedience and things or sin in our lives, things that, that are not pleasing to God. He empowered us to do that. See, I don't, I don't have to get under condemnation for making a mistake. Oh, you know, if I, if I really loved God, I wouldn't have made that. No, 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 no. You, you, you'll make mistakes again. But the fact that, that he made a decision here empowers you and I to make quality decisions in moments that, are, are, that want to propel other areas of our life forward. And when we view it that way, and we realize what his decision prepared us for, he prepared us to be successful and to be fulfilled and to fulfill the purpose and the calling that we have in life. Can you say amen? Man, that's so good. That is so good. Like I said, that was free. That is good. So, First Corinthians six twenty. Just a, about three more passages. First Corinthians six twenty. For you were bought at a price. The Amplified says with a price. But I like, I like what the New King James says there. You were bought at a price. You were bought for a price, with a price. You were bought with a price. And what I'm telling you today is that price. It's a decision to be obedient to what the will of... Remember the words. Lord, if there be any other way, if this cup could please pass from me so I don't have to deal with this, because what he started seeing in his prayer time was what he was taking on himself. But not my will, but yours be done. And... Five times in the Gospels we have recorded that Jesus said in so many words, I didn't come here to do my will, but to do the will of the one that sent me. And he was born to do what? To die. So as he began to see that through his life, and prophetically I believe God gave it to him piece by piece by piece what he was here to do. When he made that decision, it was the price for you and I. That Hebrews verse that I just read a minute ago. For the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? Bert Wimberley. Say your name. Just say your name. Come on, everybody say your name. 
For the joy that was set before him was that name, that person. Before you were even thought about, I mean, 2,000 years before you were even, I mean, even considered. He knew you. And he knew that you would need this. And he died for you because of how much he loved you. God so loved the world that he gave the best of heaven to redeem the world. And when Jesus made that choice, that's what he was saying. I so love the world that I choose to take all this on myself so they don't have to bear the load of it. So when we come to a time when we're struggling mentally and emotionally, we're struggling to overcome a certain thing in our life, he made the choice. I'm delivered. And not only am I delivered, now I'm empowered to see it happen. I don't have to do it on my own. Not my own strength. Jesus didn't do it on his strength. He did it by the Spirit of God that was on the inside of him. You and I don't have to do it in our own strength. We can do it by the Spirit of God that's on the inside of us. He made the choice, so I get to make the choice every day to do what's right. And I'm not doing it in my own strength but the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me because he made the choice. I was bought at a price. And that price was obedience. Hmm. Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Thirteen and verse twenty. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Everybody say amen to that. But I like that. The blood of Jesus, the decision He made in the garden, was the prep work to what was going to happen on the cross. It was the prep work. To make you complete in every good work to do what? His will. When? Today. Tomorrow. The next day. Next week. Next month. Because that's what He did. Lord, if, it, if there be some other way that we could adjust this thing and make it a little less overpowering and overwhelming, please. But not my will, yours be done. Every day, Lord, I don't like this situation. I don't like what, what I'm having to deal with here. But I want to see your will accomplished. And Lord, I'm choosing, even though this person that's hurt me and offended me, they should be coming to me. No, Lord, I'm choosing to take the high road, lay my life down, repent for this thing, and not hold a grudge against this person. Lord, if you want me to go and ask for forgiveness, I will, and, and ask this person to forgive me. Even though I don't feel like I did anything wrong, I'm still going to do that. That's what he did. He never sinned. He never sinned, and yet took all the sin of the whole world ever and ever and ever on himself in one decision. 
one choice. Let God's will be done. Came the blood. One decision. God, your will be done. It started the process. And <laughs> like they say, it's all over but the shouting now. Hmm? And the shouting just comes from you and I. Really believing this and receiving it and experiencing it day to day. Amen? Last passage and I'm done. Looking at John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and he scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him purple robe and they said hail king of the Jews and they struck him with their hands Pilate then went out again and said to them behold I'm bringing him out to you and you may know that I find no fault in him who found no fault in him hmm? the world it was the religious people of the day that found fault in him found fault in what he what he had done and what his life. I mean, Pilate looked, Herod looked at him. They tried really hard to find some reason to justify what these people were wanting. They were wanting him crucified. And that's why he just kept his mouth shut. He didn't say anything. He could have brought all kinds of legions of angels down to destroy all of them. But he kept his mouth shut. Why? Because his decision in the garden prepared the way for the crucifixion and the redemption of man. And he couldn't allow his self or his, his what, what, I mean, you can't tell me because he was all man with a soul, with a mind, will, and emotions, you can't tell me that through all of that he didn't want out of it. Oh, he did. All along the way. Don't, I mean, I mean, Think about the, the movie The Passion of the Christ and, and the, the, the beatings and, and how they, they tortured him with all kinds of weapons and, 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 and gouged his skin and, I mean, just tortured him. Don't tell me he didn't want out. He wanted out. How many times when we're, when we're walking through something, we want out of it? See, we don't have to be tortured because he was tortured. So we don't have to go through what he went through, but what we go through now is the persecution because of what he did. That's what the enemy comes at us with. See, that stuff's not going to work. You need to bail and think about yourself. You need to turn inward and just be focused on yourself. And you know what? That person that did you wrong, they deserve to get theirs. What I've had to learn is, even when people deserve theirs, there's been times where God said, I want you to pray that they don't get what they deserve because you didn't. And I didn't get what I deserve because of the choice in the garden that he made. Man, that thing has just exploded on the inside of me. The choice he made. And, and, it, and it, it, even to this day, after all these years of salvation, it is strengthening me 
to make decisions every day that aren't based on just what I want, but what is the will of the Father? Now, uh, I mean, don't even raise your hand when I, I, I say this, but I'm asking you this question. Do you believe that God has your best interest at heart? Then why would you find yourself in any situation that he wouldn't, no matter where you're at in a situation, that he, his desire is to see you out of it, if it's a difficult situation, see you out of it, and on top of that, the fact that we live in a fallen world and, and there's difficult situations and there's trials and tests everywhere, it's God in the midst of the trials and tests that is leading us, not because of the trial and the test, but in the midst of it. Will He not lead you to a high place, to a landing place that liberates you out of that? All of that is, is at our disposal today because of the choice that He made. And that should empower us in the choices that we make. Everywhere I go, in every situation I find myself, I see myself as a bridge for other people and situations. Here's a person, something that they're dealing with, and God may put me in there. He may put you in their lives to help bridge the gap and the situation that they're, that they're battling with and, and dealing with and helping them to overcome. And sometimes we've got to take the high road and not just think about ourselves, but think about the good of others. That's what this decision produced and manifests for us. Amen? And then verse, in, in chapter 19, verse 16. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called, in Hebrew, Golgotha. They delivered him. After all of that, they delivered him to be crucified. In other words, they, Pilate took what the Jews wanted, and they took Jesus and they led him away. This was the will of God. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called Golgotha. And next week, we're going to talk about the crucifixion and the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And next Sunday, we're going to end this series and this story about what Jesus accomplished. But I'm telling you today, what I want you to take away from this message is the choice that He made in the garden. All of mankind and everything that happened to man hinges on that decision. 4,000 years of preparation and leading mankind to a place of taking back what they gave to the enemy. All comes down to that decision. Because had there not been that decision in the garden, there wouldn't have been any of the rest of it. Lord, I can't do it. And here's, here's the real defining question. Could Jesus have said no? I'm surprised at how many people that are Christians 
that don't believe he could have said no. And we, and we don't have time to go in that today. I'm just telling you, and we'll talk about it at another time. I'm just telling you this. If he didn't have the choice to say no, then that whole process was unfair. It was illegal. Because God was playing by his rules. See, well, God can do whatever he wants, yeah. But God set it up. See, when he gave man authority in the earth, when he gave that authority, see, he, he, he's not one that takes back what he's given. So he never did anything with the authority. The authority just shifted to the enemy, and Satan for 4,000 years was in control over the earth. And he still, the Bible calls him in, in 2 Corinthians, he's still the God of the world system. But I'll tell you this, he's not the God of my world. Hmm? He may be the God of the system out there, but he didn't, he's not the God of Burt Wimberley's world. See, because I've chosen day by day to learn to make decisions that reflect the decision that Jesus made in the garden. And it empowers me, causes me to overcome, and I don't have to submit and succumb to all the filth and the trash that's out there. It's out there. If you don't think there's not filth and trash and all kinds of horrible things going on out there, then you are deceived. But those things don't have to affect our world. And in turn, what we're called to do is make a difference to affect that world. Amen? One person at a time, one situation at a time, as we're led by the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> Amen? I hope you <clears throat> hear this word today. Sometimes it's a little difficult to preach something where one point has to be made because there's a lot involved in that. And this isn't some exhaustive teaching on what I just talked about. But the point that I made, if you'll embrace that and understand that greater day to day, it'll change your life because you realize the depth and the price. You were bought at a price. And that price was that obedience in that decision. And when he obeyed, you were bought. That's my man. That's my man. I'm watching Bert. He's going to do it. Come on, he's going to do it. He's going to make the right choices. I see Randy down there. Oh, yeah, there were some tough times, and there was a little of this. and like, Yeah, but I see him. He's going to do it. He's going to make the decision. Right? I see Steve out there. There was a little of this and a little of that. Right? I see Josh. There was a little and a little bit more. Ah, yeah, he was going to quit. Nobody's going to do it. I see him. I, I see him. He saw you. Jesus saw you. He saw each and every one of you. Every, everybody that named their name earlier, he saw you. And he said, I want him. Glory to God. Father, we thank you this morning.